bruised and battered I couldn't tell what I felt I was unrecognizable to myself Hello, welcome to T. Hanks for the Memories. I'm your host, Darren, and today we are on the 3rd of the Golden 14. We are at Philadelphia, um, released on the 22nd of December 1993, right in the heart of Oscar bait country. And it, it was only a small release, and then it was gradually expanded for the rest of the country to um, see this film. And, you know, it worked, because Tom won, um, you know, a number of awards. It made a ton of money, nine times its budget. Uh, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 89% from the audience, 7.7 on IMDb. Everybody loves this film. Um, or, well, uh, some people didn't like this film, but, you know, we'll get into that as we go along. Um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, there was a film on HBO called And the Band Played On, uh, directed by, and this is going to blow people's minds, the director of Turner and Hooch, Roger Spottiswood. <laughs> and it was it aired on the 11th of September 1993, so a couple of months before this film came out. Uh, obviously, Philadelphia is credited with being like the first mainstream film to kind of tackle... Uh, the subject of HIV AIDS, uh, obviously, and the Bay pl- band played on also tackled that subject, um, but in the form of a HBO film that you know had a ton, a ton of stars. Like you know, literally, you, you know, anybody you could think of at the time who was huge, um, you know, they were in it, um, including Richard Gere making a cameo, uh, essentially appearing in a couple of scenes, then dying, um, as a lot of characters did in that film. Uh, B.D. Wong plays the lover of Ian McKellen. It's, I, I mean, um, you know, Phil Collins appears with a moustache out of nowhere, and I was just like, <laughs> I was for a moment, I was like, is this Phil Collins? And then it was like, yeah, it's Phil Collins. And I was like, Anyway, but yeah, we could talk about that a little bit because I think that's quite an interesting lead in and kind of, you know, puts into context what was happening in 1993 with regards to uh, to HIV uh, and AIDS. Uh, joining me to talk about this today, I have uh, Andy Nelson returning from many, many podcasts at this point. Back for more. And I have Eric Nash. Hello, Eric. Welcome back. Hey. Yeah, glad to be here. And I have <laughs> and I have Philip. <laughs> no, I can never say. It's Mata's. Mata's. You did it. You did there it. <laughs> I, I chickened out and gave you the answer, but you were going to do it. Uh, yeah. It will come as a surprise to nobody. Maybe it will come as a surprise to regular listeners of the podcast that this, uh, today when I watch this film, this is the first time I've seen this film. Um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, I'll, from the next film on, I saw I started seeing Tom Hanks films at the cinema. Uh, but Forrest Gump was the first time I saw a Tom Hanks film at the cinema. I didn't have a local cinema at this time. It closed. Um, in early 93 I think it was so I didn't have a I didn't have anywhere to go see this and I, I can't say I've seen it on television um, and I, you know I've never felt the urge to you know rent it or whatever so today was the first time seeing it obviously I knew that it was a great film I, you know I'm a big fan of Jonathan Demme uh, obviously a big fan of Tom Hanks um, you know Denzel you know always well I'm not gonna say always good but you know he at least tries. Mostly pretty um, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few films where it's like a bit of a letdown, but, you know, not from his point of view, because he's always, you know, whatever he's in, he's always really good. Hey, he's another actor who who garnered an entire podcast devoted to his filmography. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? He did. Yeah. And I'm disappointed those guys stopped kind of covering that, because when I, when I went to see, like... Um, I don't know, Equalizer 2 or something. I was like, oh, I, w- I was in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I should listen to that podcast, see what they guys, those guys think. And I think they'd kind of given up um, by that point or all their other, all the earlier episodes were behind a paywall yeah, a, right. or whatever. So I was like, oh, a bit disappointing, you know, because I did enjoy that podcast. Uh, 
you know, yeah. And inter- interestingly, this film is the last time that Denzel Washington took second billing on a film. Um, he he literally, even in films where he's only got a smaller role, he he does not take second billing. Denzel is always top we, billed. It's funny you say that, and we and maybe we can get into more of this later. But in watching it for this show, I was thinking like he's kind of the main character yeah like it's it really yeah. at least it's a two-hander yeah. you know there it's should be equal yeah i in fact i mean you know i don't i don't think it's one of those uh occasions where tom should have got best supporting actor instead of best actor or whatever but it doesn't it certainly no. doesn't feel like i mean you know the fact that they're sharing top billing is is justified they do kind of have equal amounts you know the like when we kind of meet um his character and it goes back to his house and we see his baby being born like there's there's stuff where they're kind of giving his side of you know what's happening and so it did kind of feel like you know oh this is not just like a tom hanks film it is a tom hanks and denzel washington film um and i i I mean having watched it today obviously i mean i don't want to go too far ahead and give judgments but you know obviously a fantastic film should go without saying really but i was like i'm disappointed these guys never did like anything again like i'm like they haven't done anything since have they so i was like i was like why couldn't they get back together you know, why do we have um, three Rush Hour films and we don't have a second Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington film? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> um, the, that is the most logical argument I've heard <laughs> in a long time. I was just trying to think of, like, you know, a coupling that's happened more than once in film. And I was like, you know, right. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, did the world really need to see that three times? Um, it could be, it could be too, that, I mean, we were saying this about Denzel Washington and that like you've seen every other Tom Hanks movie after this is this is maybe, and it could be argued the first time Tom Hanks is with like a truly a list caliber director. Like it's an obviously an Oscar baity film. Denzel Washington had done a couple movies. Like I think immediately before this, he'd done Malcolm X or, you know, a couple other movies like yeah. that. So he was already kind of in that world too. And it's almost like they're just, they're too big. I mean, I don't know how you write something that's that would encompass that that star power in a way, unless you do like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing, which I'm for. Yeah. Oh no, that'd be great if uh, if we could get them together and come to some kind of situation like that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I mentioned does Tom get top billing because it's very rare that Tom Hanks doesn't get top billing. Um, you know, Money Pit being one like notable example where like Shelley Long got top billing over Tom Hanks and obviously Dragnet as well because that was Dan Aykroyd's like vehicle that he kind of right you know spent like a decade trying to get made. So obviously Tom Hanks comes in and he's taking second billing. But every other time it's you know a lot of the posters are just Tom Hanks on the poster and that's it, just his name. <laughs> you know, uh, mm. when we get to the poster for Saving Private Ryan, it's Tom Hanks' gigantic head and it's everybody else's smaller heads. Um, you know, like. <laughs> It's it's clear who the star of the film is, uh, but yeah, this is. I mean, you know, I w- like I said, this is the first time that I've watched it, and uh, you know, it, it was interesting because, you know, I was expecting like less Denzel, but you know, he was in it. Like you say, it's almost like fifty fifty. Uh, you well, know, I, yeah. You know, Tom. Tom is obviously in the showier role. You know, he's in the he's the guy who gets to die. But, so. but <laughs> so yeah, but Denzel. I mean, he's really the one who takes like the protagonist role. If there's a character who's going to have like the character arc in the film, that's really his. Like, he's the one who kind of goes through the change over the course of the story. So, uh, you know, yeah. affected by and learning from uh, Tom Hanks's character. And I, and I feel like there's yeah. one thing that um, if if there was more of, if there was more of a courtroom. I mean, there's certainly a decent enough amount of courtroom stuff there in the, in the you know, Act Two, Act Three, somewhere, somewhere in there, Act Two, I guess. Uh, but it's 
if if there was a good bit more of that, then maybe you know he he you know Denzel could have been considered the lead, but um, but it was scaled more scaled back than I remembered because I I certainly had gone into the into watching this into watching this for the show recently in the past couple of weeks, um, is when I watched it um you know having seen it ten times over thirty years you know twenty 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 almost thirty years probably um and uh. uh yeah, I mean, I, I I could have sworn there would have been more <laughs> courtroom stuff in it. I, well, then when was the first time that you saw it, Eric? Have you, did uh, you it, see it in the cinema? I would have been in just... the theater. No, I mean, it would have been no. the year after on HBO. Um, I, I think at that age, at that you know, as a teen in in my life, uh, I was probably a little too afraid to go see this uh, you know um, AIDS homosexuality movie. But uh, when it came on HBO, you know, yeah, I was you know very up up for. Uh, Seeing seeing this uh, thing that makes you know it's 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 very important I think. Uh yeah I I don't I don't think I saw it in the theater I believe I did see it uh, I think we rented the VH the VHS um, I probably watched it with my family because I don't I just can't picture myself I don't think I was old enough to really go to the video store by myself anyway but you know or drive myself anyway but I don't know if like. Yeah, so I think I watched it at home, and then and then that was the first time and the only time until this oh, until wow. this oh, moment. I've only seen it the once. My guess is that Andy saw it in the same. <laughs> yes, you guessed right. The, I mean, it, this was certainly <laughs> that window uh, when I was watching everything that Tom Hanks did, uh, almost always uh, right out of the gate, like opening weekend. My, I'm trying to remember with this one. There was a period in college when, like, I was living on campus, and they would have, you know pretty frequently like uh, preview screenings of movies and this is one of those movies where I'm not quite sure if I saw this like opening weekend when it first came out or if there was a preview screening on campus because I know I had one of those like mini posters and often you would get those from those preview screenings when they would do them on campus and so I had one of those in my dorm yeah. So I, I think this must have been a preview screening that I watched. But then, you know, me and my love for Tom Hanks, uh, I know I also probably saw it opening weekend again. So lots of times. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the kind of the one of the, attra- you know, the, the things that um, uh, Jonathan Demme uh, wanted to do um, was, you know, bring the issue of uh, HIV AIDS kind of to the mainstream. Uh, I would say he succeeded quite well. Um uh, but one of those things he wanted to use was Bruce Springsteen as a kind of like uh, I don't know, like a stealth way of getting people to come to the cinema. And so obviously, you know, the the opening credits have uh, Streets of Philadelphia playing underneath them. It won the Academy Award. Uh, it won a handful of Grammys, Song of the Year, Best Rock Song, uh, Best Song written specifically for a motion picture or for television. <laughs> Um, as you know, the Grammys are want to do with their extremely specific categories. Um, as I said, uh, Tom Hanks and Denzel, they're only nominated for best on-screen duo, but Tom won best male performance, uh, you know, shows how forward looking the MTV movie awards are, but also, um, you know, Streets of Philadelphia also nominated for an MTV movie award. Um, and you know, this obviously won the, uh, glad media award for outstanding film wide release. Um, you know, Tom also won the Golden Globe um, and, you know, it also won the Golden Globe for Streets of Philadelphia. You know, it just basically won a ton of awards. Um, the most noble thing being, of course, that when Tom gave his speech, uh, he accidentally outed an acting teacher that he'd had. 
And that itself be- then became a film a few years later um, where Kevin Klein played, yeah, that teacher and um, Tom Selleck shaved off his mustache and freaked out a nation. Um, because I don't think Tom Selleck had been without a mustache for almost like it was the years, original. Like it was the original Henry Cavill moment. <laughs> yes, that we all yeah. lived through. <laughs> yeah, so Tom Except Selleck it really ha- happened. Yeah, Tom Selleck playing gay and also no mustache. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, that feels like he's got that the wrong way around. If he, you know, really he sh- should have like like get the mustache to grow out a bit more. To, <laughs> Um, you know, fully fit into the stereotype, as seen in And the Band Played On, where literally everybody has a mustache. It is, you know, mustache yeah. city. Just to clarify real um, quick with that story, he didn't actually out his out his teacher um, who who had already been out, but the writer of In and Out thought that that idea was so funny, and because it seemed like he was basically outing his professor that. Uh, that gave him the idea for writing that script. I mean, obviously, I knew it had been kind of debunked a little yeah. bit, but yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, it, it it like it made for an interesting idea for oh, a film. Obviously, so I guess, yeah. yeah. And it's fun. It's funny you you clarify that too, Andy, because it's funny thinking about this movie. How I, I think it whole. I was surprised to see how much it holds up to, even today, but it still kind of like has a little bit of like, you know, like oh, this is progressive for 1993. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, they got they got those uh, straight actors to to uh, play gay guys who like don't really kiss. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. I mean, it was like, but the same thing with with that. It was like, oh yeah. I mean, for the time, for the time, it qualifies. And now, when you're looking back at it, you're like, oh, we've like learned a little more. We, there's, there's a little more. You know, society's yeah. changed a little bit more, more accepting in some ways. Yeah, I think it's funny actually because I watched obviously I watched and the band played on because I thought um, this should be interesting. One, it's from the director of Turner and Hooch, um, who himself is an Englishman. But also two, um, I just thought I, I, like you know I'd read a lot of stuff about it for many many years, and obviously the cast is stacked like crazy. But they do that does feature gay actors in prominent gay parts in the film. So it's interesting how they approach the casting. You know, in the in the in, you know, I I I mean, the argument could be, could be right. made that if Philadelphia had two leads who were gay, the film probably would never have made any money and would never have got any mainstream yeah. success. Part know, of so. part of why we may be talking about it now is the fact, and I think it is a very conscious choice on Jonathan Demme's part or whoever is in charge of it at that time to cast like two actors who would like one guy will become America's dad and the other guy will become America's uncle. Like they <laughs> like Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington, you know, are going to shepherd this message in a way. And so I think that's very, very deliberate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the role of Miguel, they could have, you know, they could have cast any, there would have been dozens of different gay actors that they probably could have cast in that part. It wouldn't have made that much difference to the overall box office. Um, but you know, Antonio Banderas was on the rise at the time. Like people forget how and hot he was in the early nineties in terms of. Like, I, I'm glad you said that because yeah. watching this, I I myself am not a gay man, but I'm watching this, and I believe it's a stone cold fact that 1993 Antonio Banderas is the most gorgeous thing. <laughs> like when he shows up, when he showed up, I was like, holy crap, that is prime Antonio. Holy smoke! It, it like. The last twenty years of his career made total sense. So, like everybody watched this, I'm like, "Oh, hell yeah!" And then <laughs> yeah. It, made, it made me actually question. It was like he must, 
Andy must think he's so lucky to have this guy. Yeah, because <laughs> <right. laughs> Tom Hanks is an okay-looking guy, but I mean, whoa, I don't know, man. Uh, once again, Tom Hanks is is hitting way out of his league in a film. Like way that. out. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we're coming off, we're coming up, literally coming off the back of like, I mean, you know, he had no real romantic like, you know, love interest in in in, um, in League of Their Own, but in Sleepers in Seattle, Meg Ryan out of his league. Uh, you know, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, who is the who's the extra again? She's, Robin Wright. Uh, Robin Wright. Yeah. Out of his league, you know. Uh, I'm telling you, this is... I can't remember this, his wife they, in that, but definitely out of his league. Like Those are all heavy hitters. Like, Antonio Banderas, 1993, is like Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth level hitter. <laughs> like, like, I couldn't... I just kept laughing. I'm like, damn, that is a good looking dude. <laughs> I can't remember if this might... This might his English language debut if I'm remembering correctly. It's not far from it. I don't it? know enough of his early yeah. career, but it's not far um, from it. I think Mambo Kings was oh, like no, he, yeah, he, yeah, he did Mambo, right. yeah, he did Mambo Kings was that, before, but which, okay. yeah. obviously Madonna was also super horny for him in Truth or Dare, like in 1991. Get um, it. Yeah. Well, I, like she, there's like 15 minutes of the film where literally um, who was she going out with? Oh, she was Warren, going out with uh, Warren Beatty. Warren yeah. Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty's like sitting there, you know, being a you know seventies sex symbol, and then Antonio Banderas walks in, and Madonna is like literally drooling on the screen and just will not. Cut. And she's basically trying to break up his marriage at the time, to to like that's literally what she does in the film. She's like she just wants to get with Antonio Banderas like the instant she sees him. It's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, in yeah. uh, Evita together too, right? Yes. Yeah. Although I oh, think that's she, right. He, yeah. That, he was already married to Melanie Griffiths by that point. Wasn't he? Um, I I can't remember exactly, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's interesting uh, though. Just going back to this whole thing with uh, Banderas and and him being like so so hot and everything. I think it's funny and, and interesting that it could have been John Leguizamo in that role. Which. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, no, I read about right? that and I was like, that would and except he chose to go for Super uh, Mario Brothers. Mario Brothers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, which made the mistake of coming out two weeks before Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, I like to think, though, that this is maybe why he ended up in Tu Wong Fu. Maybe he's like, eh, I need to get back to that type of role. <laughs> yeah, right. But I don't think there's any really anybody else in this film that Tom has worked with previously. Uh, this is mostly Jonathan Demme's regulars that are, are in here. Um, right. You know, including a cameo from uh, his former boss, uh, Roger Coleman. Right, yeah. Uh, is understand but we can talk about when we get to that um so yeah um uh, like i said and the vampire don is an interesting film in that it it shows kind of how uh the hiv and aids virus was identified which doesn't sound that interesting but you know matthew modine you know tries his best to get everybody excited about the idea of them identifying it um and it does feature somebody who has worked with tom before which is uh i can't remember his name now he plays like the boss Oh, what is his name? Saul Rubinek. Saul Rubinek's in there uh, as like the head of the CDC, constantly saying they haven't got enough money. Um, and it's quite, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, I'd advise everyone to see it. I think it won some awards. It did quite well on HBO. And it's kind of interesting how, I don't know, like there's about 30 minutes off that, that end up turning into a fight between Alan Alder and some French guy um, over who's going to get credit for disgrace, discovering AIDS. And it's it's kind of weird. It kind of goes off on a, I mean, it's based on a book, so it, but it kind of, but it's interesting how, uh, the concern wasn't about 
um, you know, how it would affect, uh, you know, the public and, you know, how it was being transmitted. It was more about, like, the fight for the patent, which is which is a weird kind of diversion. But there is a lot of stuff in there about kind of the early days of trying to, like, figure out how it was transmitted. Um, there's a whole thing about uh, a patient zero, which is, you know, a completely incorrect way to think about how the disease get, got into America. But there's, like, a, um, you know, a kind of French-Canadian um, airline... Uh, like hostess guy who who kind of you know uh, was the one who kind of um, had like a number of relationships and it spread well, to like forty different if, people. And then uh, I have not seen I've not seen in the band played on in years and years. But yes. if recent history proves anything, Americans are kind of obsessed with trying to find who's to blame for this thing you can't control instead of yeah. fixing the problem. <laughs> I mean, that's currently what we're doing is like, there's so many arguments over like, Oh, maybe it was made in a lab. The, I'm talking about the pandemic. It was made, yeah. Like all this stuff is like, it, we could probably figure this out later after, after we, we stop it, solve yeah. the major problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause actually there's a, like, obviously there's a lot of guys that were involved in, um, you know, the kind of figuring out the retrovirus that, you know, obviously, is HIV, um, and a lot of them are also involved in the stuff that's been going on with COVID in the last couple of years, because obviously they're immunologists, and that is their thing, and they've been doing it for years, and, uh, you know, the character that's played by Alan Alder at one point, like, from, like, 1980 to, like, 1990, was the most published, like, doctor, and the most cited doctor in all medical journals, <laughs> and, you know, wow. so, and he won, like, well, I can't remember the name of the award, but he won it twice, and nobody's won it twice, so, like, that's the level of, kind of, expertise that we're talking about is like people who basically know exactly what they're doing when it comes to this kind of stuff and a lot of them ended up working on SARS viruses and you know they've ended up working on you know the COVID virus as well so it's kind of interesting like looking at it because the the kind of trying to figure out how it's spreading and why it's spreading and stuff is it just you know having lived through the current pandemic it feels very kind of like oh right yeah like this is how this is how people figure stuff yeah. out but obviously you know, with AIDS, you know, they, they had a, a longer gestation period. They had time to figure it out. You know, with, with COVID, they had to figure it out pretty quickly, didn't they? So, uh, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about it. And it was, you know, it was very well put together. Um, you know, Ian McKellen, of course, a delight as a, you know, person who's like kind of campaigning and stuff. And, you know, just being generally gruff, which is weird because this is like from like 93, so it's, you know, it's like a decade before he's playing Gandalf and it's still like, he still seems like he's in his seventies. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of weird how he's still, yeah, he, still he was born, old. he was born an old man <laughs> in my, my effect. Yeah. He like, he like went from being like 25 to being like 55 with, with just in the space of like a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, so if anyone hasn't seen that, I'd advise seeing that. And I just have to, I just have to go back to you. You mentioned other people that he'd worked with in this film, and how few there were. And you called out Roger Corman, but you didn't. You neglected to say oh, Roger no. Corman is also in Apollo thirteen <laughs> in another bit part. <laughs> yeah, but Apollo thirteen is a future. I'm film. just saying. I'm um, just saying. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't worked with him. <laughs> I should also say as well. Obviously, Apollo thirteen, technically speaking, is the first Tom Hanks film where he plays someone who is real. But obviously this film, at the very end of the credits, uh, it's forced to acknowledge that some of the story elements that were, are in this film are based on a case uh, of Jeffrey Bowers, who was similarly a lawyer who was fired uh, due to his AIDS diagnosis. Um, and there was a whole kind of lawsuit and stuff like that. So obviously, you know, yeah. the text at the end is kind of to say, yeah, you know, we kind of we kind of base stuff off him. But there's nothing up front that says based on a real story or anything like that. 
So I'm not going to kind of. It's not a bio. Like, We're not dealing with a biopic yeah, yeah, here. No, it's not, it's not a one to one. But obviously, you know, this was something that was in the mainstream, and you know, something that Jonathan Demi wanted to really kind of, you know, force the public to kind of acknowledge. You know, this was this was not something that people had really kind of, um, which, you know, which was a big move of, to do right after getting so much, so many accolades for uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. This is that we should say that as well. Yeah. Don, Jonathan Demi is coming off basically being the, like the most successful film you know in i don't know 30 years at the oscars getting all the top five awards um and obviously he used that to you know um leverage it into this film yeah um, yeah good know. for him i mean I, yeah. I you gotta think like it i i could imagine it going the other way the reverse but i bet the way that the order happened where you make your super successful oscar winning kind of thriller horror movie they give you a blank check to go do what you want. I'm like, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. Much like, uh, much like the film *Malignant*, which came out uh, this past weekend, where obviously James Wan had just made a billion dollars for for Warner's, and they were like, "What do you want to make?" And he was like, uh, "I'm going to make a crazy horror film." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he did. You know, and it's actually kind of amazing that that they, that he didn't continue to spin spin this. Off. Well, I mean, I guess he did. Maybe I mean with *Beloved*, but it, it, yeah. unfortunately for me personally, though. The, all, all six more that are on Wikipedia after this one, I have not seen, unfortunately. Oh, really? I always of, have kind of wanted to see. Of Blood Demi's films? films? Yeah, right. I, I mean, I own uh, Manchurian Candidate on DVD, and I've watched that a couple of times. The director's commentary on it's quite fun. Uh, Jonathan Demi. You know, I've seen the a, original. He's an interesting... <laughs> well, and uh, Rachel Get Married, I saw at the cinema, which I really enjoyed. I also bought that on DVD. Um, and then uh, Ricky and the Flash was I saw that at the cinema, um, and you know it was an okay film. Uh, I think it's weird because I think Meryl Streep in that she has two daughters, and in real life she has two daughters that are actors, and I don't know why they didn't just cast Mamie and Grace Gummer as her daughters. It would have been a lot quicker, but you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know. But I, I'm with I'm kind of with Eric. I, I I think I've seen some of those, but I yeah, it is kind of interesting how. Jonathan Demi was kind of on this trajectory in a way. And I mean, maybe he got to make the projects he wanted to make and good for him. But sometimes I've watched Silence of the Lambs and thinking, man, this is really, really great. And I miss that. Well, I think if you look at his career, like that almost is more of the anomaly. Like he was always doing such like, you know, more Mm -hmm. unique sorts of projects like swimming to Cambodia and things like that. And so I think he was always just kind of trying to push the edge and do different things a little bit. And so it wasn't as often that he was doing stuff that was quite so, uh, quite fit good point. into kind of what the Academy was looking for or what, you know, kind of the Hollywood box office was looking for. And I mean, he did stuff like yeah. the remakes for The Truth About Charlie and Manchurian Candidate. But I, I think that those were, I, I, he, and he was also always doing documentaries and music projects. And so I feel like those were probably... I don't know, my sense is that he was doing those because he wanted to use that as a way to kind of fund some of these other projects that he was doing. That that could very well be, yeah. Um, And speaking of music... Sometimes I think that I know what love 